0: And Welcome to the Undead Wookiee Podcast, episode 46, Alfred Hitchcock's Rebecca from 1940. The Undead Wookiee is a fortnightly-ish podcast focusing on horror and sci-fi, but there will be times where we dip into other genres because here at the Undead Wookiee, Our nerdiness knows no bounds. Hello and welcome back. I am your host, Hugh Lloyd. And like I said, this is episode 46. And we're talking about Alfred Hitchcock's Rebecca from 1940. Now, before I introduce my fantastic co host on this episode, let's check out the trailer.
1: announcing the return of the most glamorous motion picture ever made. David O. Selznick and Alfred Hitchcock bring you the Grand Slam Prize winner that made motion picture history. Winner of the Academy Award, voted by America's critics as the best picture of the year. And now, as a result of a national poll, winning new honors, as audiences throughout the country vote to see it again. The Selznick Studios' successor to Gone with the Wind, Rebecca brought to the screen with all the warmth and emotion that made millions of readers acclaim Daphne du Maurier's bestseller as the most exciting love story of our time. The fascinating Max de Winter lives on the screen in the person of... Laurence Olivier. Why? It's Max de Winter. How do you do? The shy, unsophisticated young girl who dared to follow in the footsteps of the beautiful Rebecca is portrayed by lovely Joan Fontaine. How could I ask you to love me when I knew you loved Rebecca still? Whenever you touched me, I I knew you were comparing me with Rebecca. What is the mystery of Rebecca? What dread secret is hidden within the silent walls of Manderley? It's not only in this room, it's in all the rooms in the house. I can almost hear it now. Do you think the dead come back and watch the living? Is Mrs. Van Hopper a friend of yours or just a relation? No, she's my employer. I'm what is known as a paid companion. No companionship could be bought. There is mystery, love, and laughter in Rebecca, the motion picture still unsurpassed for suspenseful romance.
0: Okay, and we are back. And ladies and gentlemen, I am joined by podcasting royalty. So stand up, stamp your feet, clap your hands. Ladies and gentlemen, third time is a charm. I am joined by the wonderful Gidget Von LaRue. Hi, Gedge. <laughs>
2: hey, last night I dreamt to, I went to Mandalay again. <laughs> Thank you, Hugh, for having me on. I, just, I feel very, very honoured. I'm super excited and... uh Usually my forte is the 80s movies, but of course we're going right back to 1940. Uh, yeah, well, I, I look, I love this film.
0: Yes, yes. And of course we are talking about Alfred Hitchcock's Rebecca from 1940. Um, this, I, I, we, we were talking just before we started recording and, um, I said I'd never, this, one of those films that I'd always started watching, but never got through it completely. And me and my wife, we sat down and we watched this, the, you know, we, we watched it right the way through. And it is an astonishing piece of work. It is an astonishing piece of film. Absolutely loved it. Loved it. It is a yeah. great, it's, it's a great, it's a great piece of work.
2: It is, it's beautiful, look, it's beautifully filmed and, uh, he, uh, Hitchcock, this was his first American film. He'd done a lot in Britain. Uh, obviously this was actually filmed around, uh, it's a David O. Selznick production and, uh, Hitchcock, uh, filmed this with something called a deep deep set camera or something which was used by uh, in Citizen Kane the year after oh, deep wow. focus photography that's it he used deep focus, focus photography he also uh, in camera edited this movie so that David o. Selznick couldn't interfere too much in the <laughs> editing and he also banned David o. Selznick from the set as well um but yes we've got um uh, Lawrence Olivier Joan Fontaine and the wonderful Judith Anderson, who's an Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi.
0: I mean, this, you know, this, I mean, when, you know, when you just, you look at this film, I mean, of course, it's directed by, you know, the great Alfred Hitchcock. Um, it's based on Rebecca Daphne du Maurier's book. Now, du Maurier was a little bit hesitant to allow Hitchcock to make this, um, because his last film before he came to America was Jamaica Inn, which is another one of her books, and... Um, and it was a flop. It didn't do well at all. So she was fairly. So Hitchcock had to do a lot of persuading to allow her to sort of record it um, and make it. You know, but um,
2: and you can you can kind of understand why. Yes, if, if you've given you know because but writers are very precious to their books, and obviously there's going to be changes as well. He made a few changes, from what I hear. I haven't read the book Rebecca by Daphne Du Um but I I did read that. I mean, we'll get into it as we go further in as to the the little, the little, the little changes. I'm, I'm a massive George Sanders, uh, fan as well. He plays Jack Favell, which is Rebecca's first cousin and lover. And I particularly loved him in Mildred Pierce. He's a, he's a wonderful British actor and we should, most of the actors in this are British and most of the crew were British, but it was filmed in California.
0: Yes. I mean, Hitchcock sort of, um, like to keep things very very um he liked to work with very the same people um because i think it gave him a sense of um it gave himself a sense of security when he was sort of working particularly in his first um his first american movie maybe. Yes. And I think yeah it's, and it's a big film for hitchcock it's a huge film for him and i think it's you you can and i think the other thing particularly with rebecca it's it's very much the you can see the Yeah, the sort of, the advent of modern cinema developing. You can see, particularly in in the styles of acting as well. And you can see that, particularly with Olivier. Now, Olivier, um, your good old Larry, Sir Larry, (laughs) um, he's obviously known as being the great Shakespearean actor. Um, And when you look at his sort of very, very early film performances they are ve- they're they're almost carbon copies of his stage performances um and when you look at um particularly shakespeare on film um it's very very theatrical um and very much in the sort of um the clipped pronunciation of words and it's sort of I am doing Shakespeare so I shall soar through the air thus and speak in this manner. Um, That's it,
2: that's it. And a lot of the actors and actresses in this movie were originally stage actors and then crossed over to being in movies. But there's a lot to be said for those that sort of tread the boards on stage. It's a very different type of acting because it's, you know, there's no cut. No. You know, it, you can't be on stage and suddenly someone goes, right, cut, you know, next scene. Um, and I, look, I, I thought he was wonderful in the 1939 movie Wuthering Heights. Yes. And I, I particularly loved him as well in 1972
0: Sleuth. Yes, I like Sleuth. I do like Sleuth. Oh, I do too. But my favorite performance of his is, um, in Spartacus. I think he yes. absolutely nails it in Spartacus. He, he manages to sort of, Because, because his sort of his mannerisms are are very very big in some of his films. Every sort of inflection is huge. Um, Particularly when you look at Henry V, and when you look at you know his Richard III, at times is almost laughable uh, by modern (laughs) standards. um, Particularly on film. I mean, they are classic classic pieces of film. But when you look at that before and you look at the nose and everything else, it's like oh right okay, this is really dated quite badly. But when you look at his performance in Spartacus, it is very, very measured. It's very, very cold. It's very small. Yeah. He's he's kind of got used to being in front of the camera, and you can see the advent of this in Rebecca, and he's, um.
2: The the, the 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 way they pronounce all the British actors, the way they speak, very beautifully clipped and clear and clean. Yes. Yes. Isn't it? And yeah. door. <laughs> And she stepped on the ball. Yeah. That's that's one for the retro cinema. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um Yeah, yeah. But he and look, he had he ended up with four Oscars. He got two British Film Awards, three Golden Globes. Uh, unlike the director of this movie. Yes. Well,
0: you know, he his... never won an
2: Oscar. No,
0: it's no. mind blowing. It is, it, you know, and when you look at his body of work, it is just, it's, it's incredible. It, it's just. You know, and he is... God,
2: Notorious, Strangers on a Train, Dial for Murder, uh, Rear Window to Catch a Thief, uh, Vertigo, North by Northwest, of course, Psycho. Yeah. You know, his, his body of work is, uh, look, unbelievable, wonderful films, and this man never won an Oscar. I think they gave him what... Did they give him one of those,
0: oh, we feel sorry for you, Oscars? I think they might have it. I think he, he sort of, mm, I don't think he's got long left. Um, we better do something. Pre- throw him one. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is his only film to win, um, a best picture, Academy Award.
2: Yes. This is his only
0: yep. film. This was it. Yeah, it
2: won, uh, best picture and I think it won best cinematography,
0: but he didn't win best director. No, he didn't win, he, which is, what do you think about it? It's just insane. It is oh,
2: it's, it's absolutely crazy! It's yeah. crazy, and it is. It's so often discussed with within movie lovers, Hitchcock fans, cinephiles. How 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 did this happen? Yeah, you know, how, how, how did he he me mis- I mean, he was nominated for this. Yeah, um, but yeah, look and look everyone everyone's fantastic. As I said, in this. Um, I was I was very interested because from my from memory with Sir Lawrence Olivier I only remember that he was married to Vivian Leigh. Yes, but he was actually his first marriage was to an actress called Jill Esmond. Then it was Vivian Leigh. Then, of course, his last wife was Joan Plowright, the actress yeah. Joan Plowright, yeah. until yeah. his death.
0: Yes. Mm. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about this is he campaigned for Vivian Leigh to play um, the. Uh, Sort of unnamed, really, and that's the, the fascinating uh, thing that I love about this is that Joan Fontaine's. She's got no first name. She's got no font. She's, she's got no Fontaine. She's got no name. <laughs> I, I'm only halfway yes. through a cup of coffee, people. I'm halfway through a cup of coffee. Bear with me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, you're sorry for you. It's very early on a Saturday morning for him. So it's, it's
0: nighttime here for me. So I'm all good. <laughs> and I've just done my first full week back at teaching. So it's all a bit of a shock to the system after having the summer off. Um <laughs> but he wanted Vivian Lee to play the role. And when she didn't uh when they wouldn't cast her, um he was really horrible um to Joan Fontaine. He was really cold yeah. and very, very distant with her. And yeah, it-
2: and, and I think Hitchcock liked that as well. I think he encouraged that. And Hitchcock actually encouraged Pretty much everyone that worked on the movie to be quite cold towards her as well. So she did feel that very isolation, that very insipid isolation. And I should say Joan Fontaine, uh, Joan Fontaine died not that long ago. She reached 96. Now her sister is Olivia de Havilland. She's still alive. She was, she was Melanie in Gone with the Wind, which was also a David O'Sullivan yes. movie. And she's like 103.
0: See,
2: that's a good chance there, isn't it? Absolutely. Both these sisters had very, very good genes. But, um, yeah, look, it's a, it really is her movie. It really is Joan Fontaine's movie at at the end of the day. She's right there from beginning to end, much like Vivian Gone with the Wind is Vivian Lee's movie. Um, I'm glad Vivian Lee didn't get this role because she, first of all, Vivian Lee's too beautiful to play this role and, and she's too, I don't think she could carry off the meekness that no, Joan
0: Fontaine No, 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 no Not at all And
2: Hitchcock actually decided on Joan Fontaine because a lot of actors wanted these roles a lot of uh people wanted to play Mr and Mrs De Winter but he was actually inspired to hire her based on watching her in the 1939 movie The Women Yes,
0: yeah,
2: yeah Where she plays sort of a meek Insipid character, and after he saw her in that, he went right. Yep, Joan Fontaine, perfect, and she she is she's superb in this.
0: And I, what I love about her character in that, the you see her build, um, and you see the transformation. And, and I, oh, here we go. It's an X Factor word. Her journey. Yes, yeah, and she sort of has this this fantastic journey from being this meek and mild. Um, Character, who is completely downtrodden, and is a paid companion to this overbearing. um oh, she's <laughs> wonderfully horrible, isn't she? Which, her lines are <laughs> absolutely magnificent, though. um <laughs> her, it's um, oh, um, what was her name? Uh, what's the actress's name? Oh, um, I've got it here.
2: Hang on, Florence. That's me,
0: Florence Bates. That's it. Yep. Her delivery is rapid fire delivery she does not come up for air and uh, when she and and some of the things that she says are so mean they're so mean and even when she dreadful snob isn't she she's a
2: dreadful snob and you know the joan fontaine as character who she never says her name that's what we said She's got no first name although there was a rumor that her name uh i think in one of the productions of it they called her caroline There was a, there was a rumour to that, but, um, yes. So, um, (laughs) yeah, as you said, uh, uh, oh, sorry. (laughs) Uh,
0: yeah, Gladys Cooper, she was, oh no, that's not Gladys Cooper. No, Florence Bates. Gladys Cooper was Beatrice Beatrice Lacey in this, but that's right. Yeah. Florence Bates is just, she's just a bitch of the highest order. Um, and it, Mrs. Edith Van Hopper, that was her yes. name. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it you know, when she realises that there's a power shift in their relationship. That, um, Joan Fontaine's character is going to be, um. Mrs. Maxim's Win- wife. She's going to be mm. Mrs. De Winter. And there's this and she and
2: she's so sucky up to Maxim isn't she because she's yes. like you know they're, they're meant to be in the south of France and she's like oh you know it's it's just such so, so dull and then the minute uh, Maxim de Winter walks in she's like oh it's mr. de winter and it, it's like he's this Super well known and, you know, and she, and then she's like trying to suck up to him. And then of course she gets sick. And we should say that back in, back in these days, and this is quite a common thing that these older women, these sort of spinster type women had companions. There's another movie called Private Tables where it's the same situation where that it, it turns out that, that her character in the movie does have a daughter. Cause remember she's got to go back to the wedding because her yes. daughter's going to get yes. married, but. If they've got no one to go on holidays with them or anything, they pay for a companion. And that's what Joan Fontaine's character is, a paid companion. So she can't really speak back. And she's a perfect paid companion because she hasn't got that chutzpah, no. as I'd say.
0: No, no. And there's that, and that moment where she realises she's, you know, um, she's going to be Mrs. de Winter. And she says in a very backhanded compliment way, I don't know if you'll ever be a great lady. And sort of just, yes. she just kind of like scuttles out of shots. It's a brilliant, brilliant moment. And it is a proper sort of, you know, you can see in her face that the power dynamic. The beat in has, this. Yes. Yeah. It has completely changed, completely and utterly changed. It's a wonderful, wonderful scene. I absolutely loved it. Um, now obviously we,
2: and, and you notice as well in this movie, yes, everyone seems to, uh, actually degrade her right from the very beginning she's she's kind of picked on or i, was, I guess in these days they call it being bullied yeah. apart from when she does arrive at mandalay uh maxim de Winter's best friend is frank crawley yes played by reginald denny he's the loveliest character in this movie he, i think
0: yeah yeah and him and i also like nigel bruce as uh, major giles lacy
2: yes um, oh he's
0: wonderful isn't he yes
2: I, um, I, he was he was Watson. He was Watson in the in the um Sherlock Holmes movies back there in the 30s. Basil Rathbone. Yeah, yeah
0: that's Rathbone. And that's where I thought yeah. I recognised him. Actually, I didn't. It, it just only just clicked now that you've said it. But yeah, he's absolutely superb in this. And well, he, I find it very fun. Sorry, go on.
2: <laughs> I Have to go and see that Doctor in the City, and he's on Baker Street.
0: Yes, yes. <laughs> I love, which is where Sherlock lived. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, yeah. I love, um I love that moment in this where they're all sat down to dinner and then suddenly he, you know, he mentions the boat. Do you like boating? And you could see everybody in the room sort of turning around and going, awkward. Ooh, tough crowd. Tough crowd. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we should say, we can do, we obviously we can do spoilers. Which yes, we probably I, should do. I mean, I think it's <laughs> fair to say this film was made in, released in 1940. If you haven't had a chance to see it now, why are you listening to this show? Pause the show, go and watch it, uh, come back to us, of course, and then, you know, you'll know what you Listen to the rest of it. Yes. So you've been Because <laughs> the, the general outline is that, uh, as we
2: say, John Fontaine's character... is a companion to this dreadful old snobby woman and then she meets happens to meet in the south of france maxim de winter he sort of sweeps her off her feet he then takes her back to his beloved mandalay Mm. and it turns out that he had a previous wife who was called rebecca and that's when we meet one of the one of the best characters I think in it. Judith Anderson playing Mrs. Danvers. Yes. And this performance is excellent. She's wonderfully creepy and eerie. And Hitchcock had actually instructed Judith Anderson, who was born in Adelaide, Uh. to not blink. So if you watch this movie carefully you will see that the actress does not blink when she is on camera. Not only that, they couldn't help it when you could see her feet, but when you couldn't see her feet, they sort of did a floating thing with her. Yes, that, yes. That eerie floating, you know, and and her performance in this is absolutely
0: superb.
2: Yes. She's 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 the fear in this movie.
0: Yes, she is. She is completely, completely. And I do love how she does float. She just glides, yes. just glides in and out of things. And, and, and she... And that face, even though she doesn't display a lot of emotion, Um even up to it's the like end. she doesn't
2: need to because there's no. not a skerrick of makeup on her, and she's got that severe hair.
1: Yes,
2: she. She reminds me a bit of actually Nurse Diesel from High Anxiety. <laughs> 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 I'm trying sure, to sure base that character on Mrs. Danvers because yes. she's got, and she's always in the, the the black outfit, and everything's very severe, and she's just. Very, very eerie and frightening, and she sort of – she does that acts like she's Joan Fontaine's character's friend or Mrs. DeWinter's friend. Yes. But there was obviously as well – and they, the studio back then really tried to diminish this hint that the Judith Anderson character actually was a lesbian – and yes. that she was actually in love with rebecca and they and, the, and hitchcock hints to it a little bit especially when she's like showing mrs de winter rebecca's negligee that's on the bed and she said look you can see my hand through it
0: yeah. and it's <laughs> it's just really creepy
2: <laughs> yeah it is and, and she's like oh when she'd have her bath i would i would always be here and, and no matter how late maxim and rebecca would come home you know from a party i would be here for her I know it's, you get this beautiful, subtle, obs- well, it's not even subtle, it's this obsession. Yes. With this dead character. Cause uh, Rebecca's dead and that's obviously why Maxim's gone on to marry the Joan Fontaine character. And the, that's the other thing, the Joan Fontaine character is so different from what you hear Rebecca was like. Rebecca was meant to be this stunningly beautiful, I think even, um, Frank Crawley says, when he's describing Rebecca to the new Mrs. De Winter, she was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen.
0: Yes. And I love, so, I, and I she's love, meant to be. Yes, yeah, sorry. yeah. No, and I love how, even though they describe her as this, 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 this incredibly beautiful woman, there is this sense of menace to her. There is a yes. real sense of, um, there's a real sense of something is not right. And there's, there's almost, it's almost like, um. It's like she's a myth. Yes, yes, put that right. exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, she's, she has this sort of like, um, uh, this moment or, you know, whenever she, people talk about her, there's this almost like sort of reverence about her. But at the same time, people are very, 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 very wary about what they say. Um, even when Maxim isn't around, there's this sort of like almost sort of, demonic feel about her that she. we well, you know that
2: hitchcock there. hitchcock when filming uh several times when the actual name rebecca is mentioned there's a certain different sound that that he he plays i mean i should say the music in this is great it was it was a, the movie score was by frank uh franz waxman yes who also did the score for Sunset Boulevard, a place in the sun, uh rear window, and also some of Max Steiner's music from A Star Is Born was used in this as well, which caused quite a few issues. Yeah. Um But I think mm-hmm. R- Franz Waxman. Every time that the, the na- someone says Rebecca, this I really listen for it, and you can hear this little sting in yes. the music, and yeah. it adds to that eeriness of it.
0: Yeah, and it sort of. In so in so many ways, this is you know this is a very there is a there is it's I mean it's a hundred and it's a hundred and thirty minutes long, so it's, you know it's it's a good two hours you know this film. Um, yeah, and how I, it, I don't think it could be a bit shorter. It starts to drag a bit at the end. Yes, it does sort of labour a little at, at points, but there is this sort of almost sort of. You know, you get the slow burn, but you—it's almost—it's um, like a good haunted horror or haunted house horror type feel to it. It's got this very, very slow, creeping menace, and you know Maxim's character at any point I felt could actually kill his his, his new bride. There was that. Yeah, well, he
2: had the, even his his um his sister.
0: Uh, who is,
2: uh, I mentioned earlier on Beatrice Lacey that Maxim's sister played by Gladys Cooper. Yes. She even says to the new Mrs. De Winter, he can lose his temper. Yes. He can fly off the handle a bit. And we, and we do see that throughout the movie as well. He, he, he does have that, that really t- tense, isn't he? He's very, not, not often that you see him. And it, that just adds again to the, Suspense of, and she's always apologizing to him, you know, she just can say the most simple thing and she's, she's very weak and she's very, very naive, uh, and very frightened and yes. timid through sort of the entire thing. As you said, she starts to like pull her socks up at the end there, especially when I find the real big turning point, like there was that, the bit, in the movie, about halfway through, when she's in the study, and of course, everything that Rebecca owned is still there. Yeah, I mean, this—that doesn't say a lot for Maxim. Why didn't Maxim sort that stuff out after Rebecca died? You know, get—I'd be like, right, get all this stuff that's got bloody R on it, get it out. <laughs> let's go. Come on, let's let's clean house. Let's get all this stuff out. Um, but of course, everything's there, including all of Rebecca's. Writing materials, because everyone used to have like their, uh, their initials on them. And the new Mrs. De Winter goes into the study and she pulls everything out of all the drawers. She puts it on the table and she calls in Mrs. Danvers and she says, look, I want you to get rid of all of this. And Mrs. Danvers like, but that's Rebecca's, that's Mrs. De Winter's stationery. And she turns around and goes, I am Mrs. de Winter, yes. and I went, yeah, you go, girlfriend um, <laughs> but then she I think she really c- it comes into her own the minute Maxim confesses to her yes. the entire situation down in in the boathouse yes,
0: and it's a wonderful turn in the movie. it is a wonderful, wonderful turn in the film because all the way all the way through. There is like this, they're enemies, yes. kind of, isn't it? There's yes. no, there's
2: not that connection. Uh, apart from when, like, they they watch the honeymoon in the on the the video yes. or on the projector, it, and it, they're it, laughing and all that. But even in that scene, there's that massive tension because she says something and he he jams up again. So yeah, when 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 he finally shared everything, she, she's like, "No, I'm I'm with you. I'm, I'm going to stand by you." Yes, and that, I think that surprises him. He's like, "Well, hang on." And and it's interesting thinking back to it as well because, as we said, Rebecca was this massive personality. Everyone loved her. Everyone adored her. She was wonderful at parties. She knew all the right people. She dressed immaculately. Yes. You know, all that sort of thing. And then he's gone and married this very sort of insipid – I mean, they even say in the movie – I forget who says it to her. I think it's his Maxim's sister. And she says, and you, don't, you obviously don't take care of yourself. You obviously don't know how to dress or yes. well, do your hair. Yes. And I'm like, well, don't hold back or anything. Boy, I do. But wonder, why has he gone for this woman?
0: Yes. I do. And wonder you find with out sister, um, sometimes I don't think she sort of expresses how she really feels about things.
2: <laughs> yes. There's no messing, there's no messing about with Maxim's. Sister. No, no,
0: no. <laughs> and oddly enough, it sounds, oh, <laughs> sounds terrible.
2: Oh, what now was, I should say as well, just before I forget, she was actually, um, people might recognize her. She was Mrs. Higgins in My Fair Lady. Yes, and she, she was. was also, yes, yes, yep. And, uh, she was also the best mother in Voyager. Ah. I was trying to think, where, where do I know her from? Where do I know her from? And then you know, I cheated and looked it up and I went, <laughs> that's it. She's, 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 uh, Henry Egan's mother in My Fair Lady. Nothing. Like, Aha! There we go. Yeah. I
0: mean, oddly mm. enough, it sounds, I had a great aunt, um, who bizarrely reminded me of, um, Maxim's sister. Um. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Even to the way, even in the way that she dressed, even, uh, and the way that she spoke and the fact that she was, so wow. forthright and so blunt. Um, That's funny. You must
2: have been watching this going, wow, she really reminds me of somebody. Uh-huh. Aha.
0: <laughs> and she could be absolutely bone crunchingly blunt to the point where you would physically wince.
2: <laughs> I could, you know what? I wish I could be like that. Sometimes, I'll be, you know, but my, fa- my late father was a bit like that. He just said things as they were. Mm. He wouldn't say anything hurtful you know there's a, there's a good time to just sometimes not say anything at yes, all, yeah. but yeah he'd he'd pretty much just say things as they are, and there there is something refreshing about that, I suppose because everyone's so full of shit these days
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, when you, we talked you just mentioned about the scene um with where they're watching their honeymoon um over the projection, and that scene is so beautifully lit. Yes, it is so beautifully lit it is just stunning um and i think that's one of the things that actually you know people talk about um hitchcock and uh, you know the, the the attention to detail and what have you the, the Maison scene in this film is stunning it is absolutely stunning throughout every yeah, every detail is immaculate even you know i mean the the way maxim dresses um he's absolutely pristine absolutely pristine um yes. and you can see he's, it he was a
2: good he was a good sort too uh, Lawrence o'livia he wasn't a tall man no. but he was he was a he was a very very sexy man well, and i think he aged very well and oh to- talking about you you mentioned clothing and wardrobe that scene where Mrs. finally, um, the new Mrs. De Winter, you know, has, how would you describe it? The balls to, to, to go into the forbidden room yes. or the forbidden wing. Cause she's basically told like right out of the gate, that's the wing that Rebecca lived in. That's where her room was. It, that's the only room that's got the view of the ocean. You know, we're just going to put you in this back room. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you can't, you know, I don't think she ever says you can't go in there, but it, she sort of hints that it's restricted. Yeah. Don't go there. So finally the new Mrs. De is like, well, you know, bugger this for a joke. I'm going to go and check out this this room. And she's in the room and she's caught out by Mrs. Danvers. That's where Mrs. Danvers goes into this whole routine of I would brush her hair and na da da And she, she keeps everything in place. Remember when she picks up the brush and then she puts it back down and she goes, no, that's not how she had it. And yep. she just moves it a couple of inches. So yes. she knows yes. every, and that's what I'm saying about the whole, you know, it's little lesbian attraction yeah. thing. But then when she goes, she goes, to, Oh, um, Rebecca had the most beautiful clothing and she goes to the, that wardrobe. Now she pulls out that coat. That's a chinchilla coat that was valued, that was valued at the time for $25,000. That coat, you know, that she rubs against her face. It was actually loaned by, uh, Jackals of New York. (laughs) Nobody actually wears it. (laughs) It was just, and this is again, Hitchcock's attention to detail. So it's, it's in the scene for seconds. No one actually puts it on. No. But that is a chinchilla coat, which I think are the most expensive fur coats in the world, I'm pretty sure. (sighs) Um, Obviously they're taboo now, but back then
0: everyone had a fur coat. (laughs) There's something that makes me sort of wince a little bit about the idea of because chinchillas are rather cute looking. Um, They're adorable. But you know what? If they were ugly, no one would care. No, no, they wouldn't, would they? But but it's just this idea of these poor chinchillas being made into a coat. (laughs) Into a
2: coat. No one thinks anything about,
0: like, a leather coat, do they? Because it's like, ah, cows. (laughs) But But these things are adorable. You know what I mean? It's, it's just like, oh, you know, you can't, you've got these, these. you can just imagine these sort of row, row of these sort of like crated up chinchillas and they've all got these little soft little voices and you start, I can't oh, I don't really know. kill me? I don't know, what's going on. It, I don't want to be a coach.
2: I've <laughs> actually, I've actually still got, my mother gave me, um, <laughs> Please don't tell people where I live, because otherwise I'll have all those hicks <laughs> coming around saying red paint at my house. <laughs> um, I've never actually worn it; it's just in my wardrobe. A bit like the coat in this movie, but I've got a silver fo- a silver fox. Oh, fur coat, like a real wow silver fur coat. Um, my mum gave it to me ages and ages ago, and I, I was like, yeah, okay, you know, because I, I actually when I
0: went to last time I went to New York, I wore it. So yeah. <laughs>
2: you, I, I, I'm guilty. I'm
0: guilty. You are aware that um, just because you know mentioned that you own that, there are hordes of. Uh, Peter activists, (laughs) (laughs) brandishing pitchforks and torches. I was wondering
2: what that noise was outside.
0: (laughs) They instantly know. (laughs) Instantly know where you are. They're like, what? Oh no, move!
2: I live in Tasmania, everybody. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Peter, assemble!
2: (laughs) Um, But yeah, yeah, no, look, and again, you mentioned the lighting and it is, it, everything about this movie is just visually stunning. And that's why I said probably it could have been a little bit shorter because at the end there, it all gets a bit real. You know, they're on the street. Yes. And they're yes. in the bar and all that sort of thing where everything's very mystical and haunting in, while they're in the house. And you can understand Orson Welles definitely would have watched this movie because he used a lot of the techniques used by Hitchcock in this movie, as I said, for Citizen Kane. Yes. Yes, mm. yeah, I, and and it would have inspired a lot of movie makers, I would think. In it was a very forward. It's like when you, it's, it actually is like when you watch Citizen Kane, you think this movie could not have been made back then. This
0: movie was made ten years ago. It has to be. Well, do you want to? I'm, I'm going to make a confession now. You haven't seen Citizen Kane. I hate Citizen Kane. Wow, there I, you go. Well, that's a big one. I know. I hate Citizen Kane. It does my boxing? And I wow. think it's, it's more for the point of view. I think everybody's oh it's the greatest film ever. It's great, it's, see it's now, just, now you've got all the cinephiles coming around to your house, throwing bricks in your window. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Take I'm, cover. I think I've got that in my yeah, you know, you know, I may sort of have to hide my face in cinephile convent, uh, sort of uh, areas, you know, it's this, <laughs> but no. Exactly. No. Yeah, you know, disguise yourself now. Yeah. Look, you, the thing is you
2: can't love everything and, and, you know, people can call themselves cinephiles. And sometimes when I see, you know, um, uh, people, critics list of the best movies. It's kind of like a standard to have certain movies in there. Yes,
1: and to be honest yeah. with
2: you, if I did my top 50 movies, I would not have Citizen Kane in there. No, no,
0: no, no, no.
2: I, mean, I, I can appreciate the quality of it. I can appreciate what a wonderful movie it is. Would it be in my top 50? No.
0: No, I, I mean, I appreciate uh, Look, Don't get me wrong. It is, it is technically, it is absolutely, it, it's, 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 it's incredible. It is incredible. To look at it is incredible. But it's just one of those films. It just, it's just think, oh, it was a sled. Right. Oh. (laughs) Rosebud. It's like, like, hang on. You've got how many millions? Get over it. (laughs) Buy a new one. Cheer up buddy. Cheer up. Yeah. Yeah. It
2: is. is, You're, it is a funny thing because if I was to say watch, uh, one of my favorite movies back from this era, apart from Rebecca, um, it would actually be a letter to three wives and also the women. Yeah. I know it's very orientated. I'm, I'm not, no female or anything like that, but I, I just think there's some wonderful movies and I'd put all three of them ahead of yeah. Citizen Kane. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: mean, for me, I love Hitchcock's The Lodger. Um, yes. I think it, there is something about that film that is just it's just, it's just so it's just so captivating and it just holds it's probably because obviously i love horror but yeah it, there is something so gripping about that there is just something just the way it's shot the way it looks the way it feels you can almost feel the mist in that yeah and i mean even but- in, and i mean in this one i think the scenes on the beach with oh the, yes with with the the ship, shipwrecks. when
2: the ship after the the um, fancy dress party and she wore the wrong dress uh, <laughs> whoopsie yeah <laughs> uh, yeah the, the, the ship, with a uh, see they, now that's that famous I think it's the most famous photograph from this movie is when she's up there in the room and she accuses mrs Dan but she said you knew this is what Rebecca
0: yes. wore
2: at the last costume party and you led me down the garden path and I've now angered my husband. So she's up there and, and she's crying on the bed and Mrs. Danvers opens the window and does that whole, Oh, a little bit of fresh air will do you good. Opens the window and, and she's the new Mrs. DeWinter's looking out. She's taking in the air, sea air. And that's when Mrs. Danvers starts like whispering to her, you know, that you're not, you know, loved. He doesn't love you.
0: Yes. It's so menacing. She's egging her on for her to chuck herself out window. Yeah, it's so menacing. It's so menacing. She's thinking about it too.
2: That's the thing. She's, if it was not for that flare from the boat wreck, from the boat crashing on the the rocks, uh, would she have, was she going to just drop out of the window?
0: I, I think it was pretty close. Yeah. And I mean, this, I mean, when you look at this film, it just looks so, it looks so opulent. It looks so opulent, and the, and the lighting, and, 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 and the way in which that everything is framed is just beautiful. And I mean, it's it, it's. Budget. It is one of those these movies that if you taught at film school, you'd be like, "This is the first movie you have to watch." Yes, I mean the budget for and this. I think it was about <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I think the budget for this is that it was something like one point two million. Um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't much. I know that the, the actual House of Mandalay was a model.
2: Yes. It was a scaled down model. And look, it's very easy to, for people to go back and watch this movie that have never watched the movie and think, oh, some of the, you know, obviously there was a lot of, uh, now we call it green screen, but like map painting effects yes. on the back. Yeah, yeah, and there's yeah. a lot of scenes where they're walking and you think that looks really naff and in the car that looks a bit naff. But we're comparing it to what we have now. And there wasn't a lot of location shooting yeah. back in these days. No, no, not at all. No, so not a lot all. of it was done in, in sound studios in, in the set. So there there is a, a bit, you know, and, and, and look, an excellent <coughs> performance from Jasper the Cocker Spaniel as He's well. Let's not forget.
0: He's so good. He is, yeah. you know. He, that, <laughs> <laughs>
2: Cockers <laughs> are very bright you know
0: <laughs> they are they are um my my um my wife's auntie had a um, a cocker spaniel which is was just the most apparently I never got to beat him but he was just the most incredible um well behaved dog you've ever met to the point where he- Yeah, they're,
1: they're a
2: nice breed of dogs, and like, I like, I
0: like all animals, says the girl that's got a fur coat. Um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I do, I'm a big, I'm a big animal lover, but there, are, to be fair, there are some breeds of dogs that are better than others, I would say.
0: Well, I've got, you know, we've got a poodle, we've got a, well, he's a Poochon. He is a Poochon. Right. Um called Rudy, Um and he is just an absolute swine, but he's completely adorable with it. And I've never met such a wolf. Yes, yeah, such a willful yeah. dog. If he wants to do something, <laughs> he will go and do something. And then we've also got Henry, who's our, you know, he's 13 now, um, and he's our big white boxer dog. And he's the most gentle, placid, he's dull as a brush. Dull as a brush. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, oh,
2: but, you know, as long as, as long as they're sweet and lovable, it's not like you're entering them on, you know, Britain's Got Talent,
0: so... No, no, I I yeah. would like to try that, just to see, because it would just be car crash television. I've always fancied um, entering Henry into a, uh, into sort of like a, uh, you know, some kind of dog show, because he'd be, you know... Dog
2: agility thing or something, where they've just got to go around those little poles yeah, and... he'd just he'd be he'd sort just of walking
0: over He'd just be like, this. yeah. <laughs> dribbling on everything, you know. <laughs> Letting off the most horrific farts because he's at that oh, yeah, age. Boy.
2: No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, my cat Ripley is nineteen. Wow. And yeah, she's. I'm glad I called her Ripley because she just she won't die. She just keeps coming back sequel after sequel. After sequel. It's phenomenal. <laughs> now I've got to give a special uh, special shout out to. Uh, I mentioned earlier on, as I said, he's possibly the nicest. Character is Frank Crawley, Maxim DeWinter's very best friend. He's also his business partner, I'm, I'm, as well. Yes. Played by Reginald Denny. Reginald Denny was born on the 20th of November and so was I. Oh wow. See? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I freaked out when I saw that. I was like, oh, yay. But people might remember him. If people watched the old series of Batman, the 1960s Batman. Yes. He was also actually Commodore Schlipklapp. Ah. <laughs> series as well cuz I was trying to like look up it, I was thinking where do I know them from what do I know them from um and and we've got uh Leonard now Leonard Carey is Ben he's the beach hermit that's yes. all like you know she's gone isn't yes. she don't me in the asylum yeah. <laughs> he plays plays it very well I couldn't remember him being anything in and I looked up IMDb he's been in hundreds of movies but he's always played that because he's a strange looking man yes. and many later on in his career, he, he was uncredited, uh, but he actually ended up retiring from from acting. Ah. And as you said, we got George. Now George Sanders is Rebecca's cousin and turns out in the movie they were having an affair. They yes. would go down to the house and uh, get it on. Uh, this is played, as I said, by George Sanders, uh and now he was born in, uh, St. Petersburg, Russia. Wow. He was, and he was the voice of Shia Khan in the 1970, 1967 Disney film, The Jungle Book. He was also married to Jaja Gabor. She died. It's <laughs> a breeze, man. He married, he married her sister, Madgar Gabor. Now he ended up getting very, very sick. He had dementia. He had several Things going on, and he took his own life, and he he left a very very famous suicide note, and it said, "Dear world, I'm leaving because I'm bored."
0: Uh, that's, well, that is uh, that that's one that is a hell of a note. That
2: is yes. a hell of yes. a note. But I, I just thought that you know, and I've I've really got to get around to reading his book. He wrote a wonderful book. Cause it was something uh, off the top of my head. It was something like you know, the, the tales of a, a cad or something like that. Mm he was he was always just a a wonderful actor and he just played that role so beautifully that terribly snobby look down his nose at you and of course he's not a very nice person in this movie either he really tries to throw maxim under the bus yes. but in the book now in the movie uh The Selznick, David O. Selznick and even I think, I don't think Hitchcock probably had a problem with it, but I think it was the studio that had a problem with it was making Maxim that he did actually murder Rebecca and that he gets away with it. Yes. And they didn't like it. So they changed it from the book in the movie. He, it ends up he didn't kill Rebecca and, and also turns out when they go to that doctor, she was claiming that she was pregnant with Max, with, um, uh, Jack Favel's, you know, her cousin's yes. son. Yes. It was the sense that the marriage, the entire marriage between Maxim and Rebecca was a scam. And she said that she, yes, was pregnant, and they go to check out with the detective and the police and all that, go to check with the doctor who's on Baker Street, yes. and turns out she had cancer. So it makes sense that she possibly took her own life. But Maxim does confess to pushing her over in the fight in the boathouse yes. and finding her dead They. Very, very specifically say he didn't purposely kill it. It was just an accident. And then he put her body in the boat and floated it out and put the holes in the bottom of it and, well, yeah, yeah blood, because, blood. I
0: mean, at the time they always sort of had to have that sort of, um, particularly sort of, um, the, the sort of the, the oh, what was the code, the sort of film code at the time where they always had the show, um, there had to be some kind of, if somebody did something wrong, there had to be, some form of punishment. Yes. So the criminal would always, so if you committed something, if you committed a crime, you would always get caught. Pay for it. Yeah. Yes. I mean, look, to be honest, they still do it kind of now.
2: Yeah. 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 It's not often you watch movies these days and the bad guy gets away with things. The guy's done everything wrong in the movie, done dreadful things. And at the end, you know, is still alive there's not a lot of movies it's still a very typical thing that if you've done something wrong in a movie you really have to
0: pay for it somehow yes um yeah yeah, yeah. i mean the how this film i think in terms of trying to sort of fit it into a genre is where how how do you fit this in where where would, I would, you- I would call it a psychological thriller
2: i wouldn't call it a horror i I would call it um yeah, that's a, yeah, would yeah, psychological noir sort of thriller,
0: yeah, I kinda of sort of i I sort of had the feeling that it's sort of more of the sort of the gothic romance, I think it kind of fits quite nicely into the sort of gothic romance sort of almost sort of um melodrama, yes um, because when you look at you know I mentioned like the Maison scene around it, and you look at like the uh, sort of the, you know the setting, the characters. Um its narrative style the sort of you know the conventions that it sort of um it sort of fits very very nicely into that where you 've got this sort of um i think some of the it could sort of it doesn 't quite but it could quite easily tip over into melodrama at times of course you've got uh hitchcock it's used, close to it but it just doesn't do it does it no, it no, just no. steers away from that yeah. yeah and i mean sort of um Hitchcock, uh, you know, his films are heavily influenced, and his shooting style is massively influenced by German expressionism, Um, and it does have that sort of. You've got Mandalay itself, that you know, even from the first time that we see Mandalay when it's it's burnt ruins, Um, and then that even the drive to Mandalay where it starts raining, and there's the storm. You could see that it, you know, it it just almost takes on this sort of, this sort of omnipresence. It's kind of – Mandalay itself is its own character. Yes. Isn't it? Probably even more so
2: than Rebecca because obviously we never see any photos of Rebecca. We don't know what Rebecca looks like and I love that. I love that fact that there's not a big portrait of Rebecca or anything like that because it leaves it for us to think what did she look like. I kind of – Think she was probably a Vivian Lee looking type of yeah. woman. You
1: could
0: already in cast as Vivian Lee, but there's a picture of her attached to the table. <laughs> yeah,
2: that big portrait from Gone with the Wind, they could have just used that and put that in there and gone, right, that's Rebecca. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, uh, but Mandalay is definitely in itself, its own, its own character. And and I, I love 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 the set the scene right at the end because things slow down a bit and then they they sharpen up a bit when Maxim's driving back with his friend Frank. Yeah. And they realise that Mandalay is on fire. Mrs Danvers has gone nutso So because uh, the uh, character of George Jack, uh, played by George Sanders, yes. he's already called her. Oh, now. You know when he's he's in the phone booth and yes. he calls Mrs. Danvers to tell Mrs. Danvers, look, Rebecca committed suicide. She had cancer. It. The minute he gets out, he's he's hassled by a parking police officer. You yes. can see Alfred
1: Hitchcock. Will yes, find I was
0: going to say that is that's his. You know, because it's quite it's one of those because usually in a particularly later films, Hitchcock was pretty much front and centre, wasn't he, with his cameos. Um, yes, but this one is, a, <laughs> is far more subtle. It's far more subtle because he is sort of –
2: Well, he doesn't look like the Alfred Hitchcock that we know and love. The, the Alfred Hitchcock that we picture in our head, I mean, he's still incredibly portly. Yes. And that's being polite. But he's actually dark hair, and I actually posted up on Twitter the other day, some behind the scenes from Rebecca. Yes. And if you'd have showed me a photo, one of those photos, I wouldn't have gone, yep, that's Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. So it's hard, it's hard to spot, but yeah, he does. So just look for a portly man walk behind George Sanders in that scene. And that's Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then we get that wonderful scene with the fire and Mrs. Danvers is still in the house. The new Mrs. DeWinter's managed to get out as have all the other servants. And that's the other thing. He's got a lot of servants there, haven't he? I mean, all He's that, got a huge the whole stuff. thing with the the, the, the dinners. And the, and the lavish, all the lavish food in the, in all the, the, the trays on the side table there. And I mean, she eats like a bird. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah I'm just thinking, oh, I love, I'd love all that. Um, <clears throat> but then again, he wouldn't have married me because I'd be that sort of person that just walked into the house and went, right, all this Rebecca stuff, it's gone. Mrs. Danvers, you're fired. <laughs> I'm redecorating this whole place. <laughs> There'd be no movie.
0: <laughs> well, it's, it's, and I love the fact that obviously, they dress for dinner. Now, oh, I love that, and he's got. Yeah, uh, and they uh, even when they're watching, you know, if they th- I suppose that it's the equivalent of movie night, isn't it? They, where they're gonna they're gonna watch a film together. He's in a dinner jacket. Yes, I suppose. As you
2: said, he, he does dresses immaculately. Now she dresses quite mousy. Yes, through most. And then there's that scene where she's ordered a dress from London. It's the black dress with the white flowers down the front. I think she looks beautiful. In it, but even his reaction then, once you've seen the entire movie and if you watch it again, it's, his reaction is, I don't want you to be like my first wife. No, no. I like the fact that you're mousy. I like the fact that you are who you are. You're this, you're completely opposite to this dreadful woman that I was married to. And I want you to stay like that. Yeah. Yeah, because he kind of even at the very beginning of the movie, it's like he's sort of set. He's he's obviously much older than her straight straight out of the gate. Not not much older, like not old enough to be a father, but he is at least let's say fifteen years older than her. She's quite young, and he does things like you know you know eat eat up, be a good girl, well that sort of thing, and it's like his testing marriage, the waters. His
0: marriage proposal is the greatest marriage proposal I've ever heard. Where he's, <laughs> when he turns to her and says, "I'm asking you to marry me, you little fool." Yes. Which
2: is <laughs> and before that he says, "So New York or Mandalay?" And she goes, "What do you mean? Do you want me to be a companion or something?" He says, and that's when he says that line, "You, you, you little fool." And he does. There's there is that sort of older man, fatherly thing with, with his character with her. Yeah. 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 It is, it is the, fun, the thing. Oh, you you, you know you're catching your death, and and even when she goes out to to when they go for a walk, and he's like he puts the jacket on, and she goes, so, "Do I need this?" And he said, "Yes, you do." Yeah. And she's like, "Okay." Yeah. <laughs> but,
0: and I mean that scene where she goes back and she says, "Our marriage is a success, isn't it? A great success. We're heart- happier." It's just heartbreaking. It is. It is like we're
2: happy. You know, and she, and as I said, she's always apologising to him, and, you know, even for I, just saying something really basic. And, and he just, holds her to it too. Yeah, he, yeah. Does, he never turns around and goes, "Oh no, that's fine, it's all good." He's like, "Yeah," he gets that steely look on his face, and you're like, "Oh, yeah."
0: And says, you know, when she, when she says, "I'll go away," it's like, "Oh my God, this is just really cruel. It's this really is a mean."
2: It's yeah. Devastating. And it's funny in the age that I am now watching this movie again. And I'm just like, come on, girlfriend, hold your own. Let's go. Let's, let's stop this mopey, sooky, wussy behavior. <laughs> and, and you know, come on, stand up to him for goodness sake. Stand up to Mrs. Danvers, stand up to everybody. Let's, let's go. Yes. But you know, we can't, we're not the same. And she is this, 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 again, she, Joan Fontaine plays, plays this absolutely perfectly. The, the sympathy for her, you, you, you do feel this she is a very uh not a worldly girl at all and she knows that when she first marries him she knows this is not And she's told by people as well it's not that she's only just thinking it herself she's very kindly reminded by everyone around her as well this is not your world yeah you're she's real she's more a servant because she's been this companion which is basically a servant. Yes, you know, it's not like she could just do what she wanted as the companion, even though she toddles off and plays tennis when the old bird is sick. Um
0: yeah. but <laughs> and, and but she has a brilliant she, line where she says, "Tennis, my foot." Yes, yes, you've had so many tennis lessons, you could go to Wimbledon. <laughs> <laughs> you've beaten
2: Wimbledon. <laughs> I think that was a, that was that actress's uh, one of her first movie roles, and then she went right. on to do heaps of movies based on this. Right. Okay. Mm. Yeah. She, was great. she was great. I can understand why people went, you know, we need that type of character, hire that actress.
0: Yes. Well, and I mean, here's the other thing as well. I think what we get to see is, um, you know, Joan Fontaine falls into a, a very, really select few, number of few actresses, doesn't it? Because she is one of the Hitchcock blondes. She sort yes. of, she falls into that sort of, um, into that he liked his yes. <laughs> Hitch- I
2: mean, you because know, she- this is in black and white so you, you don't even know what color her uh, hair is and and that was a that was a choice by hitchcock actually to do it in black and white he could have done it, done it in color because the movie being made on the same set that was released shortly after was gone with the wind and that's full color yes so he on color but he as he said after he read the book um he realized that th- there's just a lot eerier in black and white. And I mean, obviously it's still used today. Spielberg used it for Schindler's List. Yes. I think it adds to the ominous feeling of a movie.
0: Yes. Yes.
2: You're not distracted by the colors. You're concentrating on what's going on, on film.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, completely. And I mean, she's now, you know, obviously as a, as a Hitchcock blonde, she's in with Grace, you know, she's in great company with Grace Kelly, Kim Novak. Hedren. uh, um, Tippi Hedren, Eva Marie Saint, um, Janet Leigh. Um, you know, it's, it's a fascinating little thing that sort of p- p- pops up in his films and it is one of his sort of, you know, w- which, um, you know, I, I think it's fair to say you can, you, Hitchcock is the truest example of an auteur. He, you yes. know, when you were watching a Hitchcock film, you know, it is his film from the way it's, it's shot. He's
2: a visual artist. Um and <clears throat> a lot a lot of really good directors are very good artists in their own right James Cameron's yes. a very good artist um John carpenter's a very good artist they, they are artistic through and through, but also also the fact that Hitchcock just uses the very best people to get the best result from his movie and as you said, you can really see it in this film
0: yes yes and it's the, it is a stunning you know, and there's so much Detail in this film. There is so much detail in you. It's, um, it is an absolutely, it's an incredible piece of, it's, it's, it's an incredible piece of art. Um, yes. You know, and the, the, the cast is so strong. And the, you know, there is so much, there's, there, there's so much, there's so many little details in this that you, it's, you can go back and you can take something new from it every single time. It is, yes. it, Yeah. you know, it's, it is, it's, it is so rewatchable. It is
2: rewatchable because you pick up little bits and pieces that you, you kind of missed and every, all the performances in this are fantastic. There's no one that you can go, oh, well, they didn't put hundred no, percent into this. No. No. And, and there's a lot to be said, as I said, for, for these stage British, ex-stage British actors as well. And, and Hitchcock was familiar with them because we mentioned this was his first American directed movie so he'd made all the other all the other movies in Britain so yes. hang on I, yes. I actually do have a list of all the <laughs> I was quite surprised actually so so before Rebecca all these films were filmed in uh, Britain uh Jamaica inn the lady vanishes young and innocent Saboteur, sabotage secret agent the thirty nine steps the man who knew too much yes uh, it, like there's about twenty twenty yes. twenty or yeah. so movies that he made before coming to America and making Rebecca. So he was no
0: slouch in the directing department. I think *The Thirty Nine Steps* is, a, is, a, is one of his masterpieces. It really is one of his masterpieces. Definitely. Um, yeah. But I think it's fair to say that *Rebecca* need, is something that people who uh, are only familiar with the big hitters from Hitchcock really need to come back and see *Rebecca*. Really need yes, to come back. To- I, I agree because
2: there is there is those standard. Oh, I was going to ask you what what do, you do what's your view on *Psycho*?
0: I think it's a masterpiece. I think it is a genuine masterpiece um, for a, a number of reasons. The fact that, you know, he decided to kill off his lead character. Um, halfway yes, in the, the film. first, like, what?
2: Yeah, Not even halfway, no, it's, I think. No, it's, no, it's like, not.
0: In it's, it's 20
2: an, minutes, 25 minutes or something.
0: Anthony Perkins is masterful, masterful in that film. He's just incredible that sort yeah. of that 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 sort of this level of vulnerability that he gives this character um is you know it, it there is something sort of completely disarming about him completely disarming um i think i
2: think because he didn't he doesn't look scary and that's
0: what made it, his performance was so good in that, that's what made it scary. You know, he's, and I mean that, the, the famous sort of, you get the famous Hitchcock zoomed and you know when he falls, where Abigail falls oh, down the stairs. It's, yeah. you know, and I mean, you know, so much so it reappears in Jaws. Um, it is how, and the, the shower scene, the way in which the shower scene is filmed, um, is, is just incredible. It is, it's, it's a it is a masterpiece of film. And it's, yeah. it's so important to horror because it took i think it takes horror out of the gothic even though there are gothic elements and the sort of the, the classic that you get those universal monsters and it takes it away from like ghosts and witches and it places horror very much in in reality it yes exists. i i
2: agree it brought it, it brought it to the suburbs yes it suddenly made you don't just have to go to a castle or You know, a haunted mansion or anything like that. This, this was just a woman staying in a motel.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Stopped
2: off, stay in a motel and you know, everyone thinks suddenly goes, I can relate to that. You know, I can relate to that situation. You get in a shower, you know, horror movies are always the scariest when you think, you know, it's the Nightmare in Elm Street situation. How do you avoid not going to sleep?
0: Yes. You were so, you know, and if you look at Anthony Perkins, if you're, you know, you're a big, you know, like you, when you look at like Abogast and things, you know, you know, the, he, he looks quite a tough guy. Do you know what I mean? He's been around, he's clearly been around the block a couple of times. He, he could look after himself, but yet yes. he is totally unaware uh, and totally overpowered by this, by this sort of very, very unassuming person. And it's the reality of the situation. Uh, yes, it's heightened reality. But actually, what Psycho does, it takes the monster out of the darkness and actually says people are the real monsters. You don't have to, you know, vampires and... It's, yeah, it's not werewolves. Frankenstein it's, or, yeah, yeah. You know, they, they, they're not going to come sort of skulking through the night for you. They're right in front of us. They're the person next door. It's the creepy guy who looks a little bit odd. Um, it's the guy who stands just a little bit too close to you. Yeah, you know,
2: I I, I instantly thought of that movie, the German movie, Funny Games. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. These clean-cut boys come in, and you know the the whole egg situation. You're just like, ah, this is so, you know. And look, another everyone knows the mainstream Hitchcocks, but uh, the great thing is, like, I, I. Looked up all the – because I had to look up all the movies he'd done in Britain. I wasn't aware of every Hitchcock movie because he's just made so many. And I've now written a list of movies I have to check out that Hitchcock directed because I've missed a lot. I didn't realise. I thought, ah, yeah, I've got it covered. I've seen most of the Hitchcock movies. No, I
0: haven't. (laughs) So what's your list? Let's let's hear them. What have you got?
2: Well, from – before Rebecca, the only movie that I – the only movies I'd seen was Jamaica Inn – The 39 steps and the the man who knew too much.
0: So I've got all of those that I've got to catch up with. The man who knew too much is superb. Oh, really? It's, it's superb. It's absolutely superb. I love it. I love it. I won't say anything else about it. I love the man. Yeah, don't, yeah, don't give anything away. And then,
2: and then after Rebecca, uh, foreign correspondent, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Saboteur, Shadow of a Doubt, uh, I've seen Lifeboat, um, what else have we got i haven't seen spellbound i've seen notorious the paradigm case i've never even heard of that i uh, yeah. haven't seen rope under capricorn stage fright i've seen strangers on a train i've seen i confess i've seen dial in for murder rear window to catch a thief i've seen vertigo north by northwest psycho the birds uh marnie but yeah there's a whole other you know it's a, uh, the wrong man I've never seen that
0: yeah I've, so yeah I've seen the wrong man it's a great one it's a gr- the wrong man is a great one
2: excellent well that's that's what I will be doing tomorrow I will be <laughs> I'll be watching I'm, watching some Hitchcock movies I have not seen before seen and everyone lodger. should do the same
0: have you seen the lodger no watch no. the lodger first it's oh, okay watch the lodger first from 1927 um it is a silent film um it is just superb it's just superb it's it's a take on jack the ripper um, oh. um it's it, it's superb it's absolutely superb
2: excellent i will check that i have no problem with it being a silent film to me a good movie is a good movie it's yeah. just as simple as that um but it, look everyone do the same thing you know you might have think that you've seen a lot of hitchcock and maybe you have maybe you've seen every single hitchcock movie that he's ever made and good on you for doing so <laughs> But you know, coming bringing bring it back to Rebecca. Definitely check this out because it is an overlook. A lot of people, do, I don't even think, know
0: that this is a Hitchcock movie. Well, and I think because everybody expects Vertigo, North by Northwest, they expect Cary Grant, they expect uh, Janet Lee, they expect to be heads. Pete Novak. Yeah, yep. yeah. They expect though. They expect those type of things. This is this is his first. This is his first foray into American. Um, cinema and it is a it, it is a great 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 film there's you know there's no two ifs or buts about it and it's a film that is absolutely jammed packed with great acting great lighting superb direction um it's just it and it like i said it is beautiful to look at absolutely and, and there's so much subtext behind it there's so much subtext in, in in things that you wouldn't really expect. I mean, you look at like you know, for me, um, you get the sort of you get this sort of idea of sort of Maxim's character, and he's this sort of almost sort of um, he can he's almost like this sort of like Lord Byronesque type hero. Yes. You know, yes. he's reclusive, he's introverted, um,
2: um, and you can understand why once it's all sort of comes out near the end there. And after he's confessed to her in the boathouse about what really happened to his wife and that the whole marriage was a, a shonk. Um, yes. you, you can understand why. Cause he's living with this, you know, as we said, in a way, he did kill her. He just didn't mean to. It was an accident, but he still, you know, knocked her over and, and she, you know, her head fell on that anchor or something like that. And all of a sudden, as he said, he looked down and she was still smiling. And that's when he realized that she was dead. And that's when the new Mrs. De Winter just just steps up. And (laughs) I did laugh because I'm thinking in a way, she's probably thinking, oh, thank God. Yeah. Thank God he's not, st- he's not obsessed with her. Thank God he hated her.
0: He yes. couldn't stand her and, you know,
2: she's probably thinking, phew. <laughs> yeah, I, I,
1: mean,
0: I mean, you get, you get this brilliant sort of, this sort of, this back and forth between the two of them. Um, but then the, the real black beating heart of this film is Mrs. Danvers, who is that sort of, she's the, um, you know, she's the bitch in sheep's clothing, isn't she? She's, oh, yeah. you know, she just, loved Rebecca um, and we've already mentioned about the, you know whether she loved Rebecca or did she really love Rebecca um, I think she really loved Rebecca
2: <laughs> look do, do I think anything happened probably not she loved her from afar yes it was a relationship that was never going to to work because it sounded like Rebecca was pretty busy um because <laughs> she's having it off with a cousin down yes. in the boathouse. Um, but it was that love from afar that that admirer adoration yes i would say and she, and yeah she was obsessed with her yeah and there's, the- I, I, I don't even think i was thinking i wonder i wonder how much she gets paid because i reckon when she was working for rebecca she would have done it for free
0: yes oh completely. she's obviously got no life of her own no no not at all and you know she's like we say we talk about the way in which she, she glides into the room and she's so cold she, she, yes. you know, she, and in some ways it's I, suppose, I love it. It's so yeah. good. <laughs> you sort of, she's almost like the personification of death. She
2: yes. Is, yeah. Is, the Grim Reaper. She's a bit. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is absolutely spot on here. She is like a female version of a way of the Grim Reaper that's just sort of hanging around. And especially as we said, when she was like trying to talk the news to winter out of the window. Yes. That's like you know, sort of cross her. Come over, yeah. <laughs> just just drop out of the window, lady. Um, you know, and,
0: and, yeah. That's nice, another- and it's spot on. soothing she is while she's doing
2: yes, it. she never raises voice, does she? It's always very, very low. You know, and she, and as I said, she was born. Uh, Judith Anderson was born in Australia, but she went to England very young in life. So she was basically raised in England. So she does have that sort of a more British accent. It's not like she, you know, met the new Mrs. De Winter. I mean, g'day, how's he's going?
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> the name's, name's Danvers yeah. or Danny. Danny for my mates, but it's Mrs.
0: Danvers. <laughs> it wouldn't quite have the same ring, would it? It wouldn't have that. It's well, of- fair.
2: Australians actually didn't talk like that back in the forties. Yeah. Australians still had quite a Cate Blanchett type accent about them yes. either that or farmers that were all like "Ah, oh, guy i might and all that sort of thing but um yeah she's always a very it's a very low tone to the point of a whisper when she's trying to talk her out the window she actually lowers it to a very quiet whisper yes. and you just like oh it's eerie but yeah she's great and i mean did she
0: do anything for this um no i don't think she did i don't think she did I'm going to have to have a look. I don't think. Uh, If only there was some kind of internet movie database where we could check. I know, isn't
2: it amazing? Actually, I have it here right in front of me. Um, Yeah, she she won two Emmy awards and a Tony award. She was also nominated for a Grammy award and an Academy Award.
1: Ah. She
2: is considered twentieth century's greatest classical stage actress. Wow.
0: And Mm. oh,
2: and she lived. Here's another one. She lived till ninety four. So you got Joan Fontaine who lived to like ninety six. Judith Anderson lived till ninety four. It's a good innings. It's a good, good, great innings. You know, if if I get
0: to seventy, I'll be over the moon. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. She was in the Ten Commandments, right? She's in the Ten Commandments, okay, and then she appears in Star Trek three, the Search for Spock. (laughs) As a Vulcan wow. high priestess.
2: Wow. Well that's it. She was constantly working and actually in um in nineteen thirty seven she joined a, a company called the Old Fit Company in London and yes. she played Lady Macbeth opposite Laurence Olivier. Uh, you see. In Macbeth. Hmm. So they'd already worked together, so they were they're on familiar grounds with each other.
0: Yes. And it's it, it you know, and it, what is interesting about it, like I said, we, we we spoke about it, and I I love this sort of the change between the between the between acting for stage and acting for screen, and she, even though Mrs Danvers' character is quite a large character really, and sort of could have been this screaming sort of villain, she's so still, and the non blinking, yes. and she's so still, and it is just it's just so perfect she's just so evil uh um,
2: she's she's wonderful and and actually i've i found that she actually was uh nominated for best supporting actress for her role as mrs danvers in rebecca but she didn't win
0: yes yeah mm. and i mean but at least she got nominated well exactly it's nice to be invited to the party exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> i mean the entire feel of rebecca is it, it, it kind of has like um Particularly the scene on the beach where they've had the shipwreck and th- it does feel a little bit like a dream. Yes, it has this sort of like almost sort of surreal. Ethereal, yes, and, yeah. and you can never quite see any of the faces um, when the, when she's running around in the mist, and it's only when people come right up close to her that she see that, that they can see who they are. And yeah, it, you, can,
2: you can see her, but everyone else is just like a shadow in the background, aren't they?
0: Yes, yeah, completely. Mm. It, it, and, and again, it adds to that sort of. That dream nightmare type quality and the fact that, you know, it ends and and I think the end shot of um the fire and you know Mrs. Danvers right moving from room to room and she is, you know, she is it's almost like that sort of when Rebecca died, that room became her tomb. That was yes. her mausoleum and,
2: and that's and that's where she ends up Dying. Yes. You can actually see that that's a stunt. You know where the, when she's stumbling around in the fire? Yes. You can actually see that that's a stunt woman. That's not actually Judith Anderson. Yeah. But then Judith Anderson right at the end. Now, interestingly enough, the end of this movie you see, and I think this is the fitting way to do it, Hitchcock, uh, while well, David O. Selznick was off worrying about Gone with the Wind, yeah. David O. Selznick originally with the burning of Mandalay, he wanted a big R in smoke above the, above the burning Mandalay yes, house. Yes. Yes. And, and Hitchcock just thought that was a bit tacky and a bit corny. So instead, while David O. Selznick was off doing other things, he made the decision to just have the, the, uh, the pillowcase with Rebecca's initial on it. Yes. That just burn. And then that's the end of the movie. And I'm glad it ended like that and not the big R above the house
0: because it'd make it a bit cartoony really. Well, It wouldn't fit with any, it, with the entire tone of the film.
2: Exactly. They just take you out of the entire thing. You think, well, that's silly.
0: Yes. Because then it sort of adds this sort of, because even though they sort of, you know, Rebecca is very much the spectre at the feast, you know, she's, you know, she's the ever presence and sort of, you know, you've got the sort of like the Grim Reaper-esque Mrs. Danvers. There's nothing actually supernatural about this film. But if you add a big floating R in smoke, you'd think, oh, hang on a second. It's a
2: bit. Yeah. Boring. Or if Mrs. Danvers, like dropped out of the window and suddenly was on a broomstick flying away going, <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes.
0: like you know I mean?
2: Yeah. It could, it could easily have just gone really, really silly. But yeah, as you said, there's you, nothing, there's proceed.
1: nothing. <laughs> and
2: there's a little nothing go- too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Jasper. Um, yeah, there's nothing. This is all reality. There's nothing mystical or ghosty or any anything like that this is all just just based on the eeriness eeriness of a a person and a building and a memory yes there's no
0: ghost and that's a very very simple premise isn't it it is it is really yeah and then from that you there's such a complex array of emotions and characters that come out of it it's it's an incredible that's a really that's an excellent point that's a really good point point. It's you know that 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 you know, you've summed it up beautifully there, Gidget. You've summed it up superbly.
2: Oh my thank you very much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but and I speaking of complex points and it still makes I love silly I love silly humour. I love silly humour. I think silly yes, is sir. so underrated.
2: Are you gonna mention Mitchell and Webb?
0: Um not quite. <laughs> oh. The uh where he arrives, um oh what's his name? Um Old Ho um Watson arrives addressed up as the strong man
2: yeah oh yes and he in dro- the the one of the weight one of the butlers is carrying uh, service, his weight i should say yes yes and he drops it and it
0: bounces yes it's just <laughs> it's it's right up there with and i think again it's such a simple little gag it's such a simple little, little bit of humor. It's right up there, I think, with, in Borat. And I know I'm, you know, I'm comparing Borat to Rebecca. The scene in Borat, where he drops the bag and the chicken is in the bag. And yes. all you hear <laughs> is...
2: <"Burr." laughs> it's just
0: <laughs> such a clever little thing. You know, yeah. you, you've got this big strapping guy and then he's, he's carrying this weight. This huge, enormous weight that we were, when he drew, and it's just so well played. Oh, that's such a funny movie. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. That is such
2: a funny, oh yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We Cried were, laughing when I saw that at the
2: cinema. My partner and I were on the, I think we were laughing more than anyone in the theatre.
0: A fri- uh, we, were we on- went to see it and a friend of mine was almost ejected from the theatre for, because he was laughing so much.
2: <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. That is, that's when you're, you're laughing a lot when you nearly get ejected from the cinema. Yeah, he, 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 we thought he was going to have some... Yeah, that's to have some taking it struggle. to
0: 11. Yeah, because it, <laughs> it was just... And that fight scene. Oh, my God. Where they are uh, naked just, and it's just... ah, oh, it's just... And the running of the Jews. Oh, it's just terrible.
2: <laughs> it's just... Yeah.
1: Oh, Sorry. God. But anyway,
2: we're talking about Rebecca. Yes. Um So I I have looked up... A, Hitchcock actually received the AFI Life Achievement Award in 1979, and he was knighted in December that year, four months before he died. He died in
0: 1980. Managed to sort of squeak that in just before he made it through the pearly gates. Exactly. Speaking of Hitchcock, have you seen the uh, film about the making of Psycho with Anthony Hopkins as Hitchcock?
2: I don't. I don't think I have. I've watched the two bio movies, yeah, uh, about Hitchcock, and and I did watch the, uh, a doco. I think it was about when he was making the birds. I think I'm trying to think now because I'm I'm a doco addict. Yes, I'm a documentary addict. Um, so I'm trying to think whether I've seen it or not. But um, I don't think I have. No,
0: it's it's superb. It's really, really. It, it is just absolutely superb. And there is. Is it from
2: the seventies the or early eighties? Because so I don't. Anthony oh, two, Perkins. No,
0: it's Anthony Hopkins. Um, it's two thousand. Oh,
2: Anthony Hopkins. Oh, sorry, sorry. I have seen it. Sorry, Hitchcock. I was thinking of Anthony Perkins no, for some no, reason. No, no, I'm no, thinking,
1: no, no oh, Hopkins.
0: In the late seventies, I'm pretty sure. Yes, no, I have seen that. That's an excellent film. It, it it is absolutely brilliant, and it it captures the complexity of Hitchcock, because he is, you know, as a he's a very strange character. Very, yes, very, yeah. very strange man with multiple. And he pieces. had a
2: fascinating wife as well. His wife is very fascinating because she had a lot to do with the movies and the decisions. And and I think she was an editor as well. Yeah. Um She she was not just the little Mary homemaker sitting at home, you know, knitting pillows. And she also knew about his um, obsession with his female blonde movie stars. But he, I mean, Anthony Hopkins is good in every everything. Really, yeah. he's such, really is one of the best actors working today.
0: Yes, yes. Mm. He is, um, and again, a very complex man. Very, very, yep. very complex man. And, and, and it's just sort of, I don't think they could have found anybody better to play Hitchcock than him. No. Because he is a chameleon. And people forget, actually, Anthony Hopkins is a superb mimic. He's an absolutely superb mimic. Um, It's
2: it is it's phenomenal when he was in that the world's fastest Indian, which is a true story about a New Zealander that takes his um Indian motorbike over to break break the land speed record. He plays a New Zealander and he sounds more New Zealand than New Zealanders. Yeah, (laughs) like I I love that movie so much. But he's the he nails that accent so beautifully, and not only that, I remember reading about Anthony Hopkins, uh. A lot of directors found it very frustrating because he would remember his entire script.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: And then once he'd said the lines, he'd forget that bit and just move on to the next bit.
0: Yeah. So it used to be quite difficult to do retakes with him. It's, I mean, he's an absolutely fascinating. And another link, actually, to this film is <laughs> when they re-released Spartacus, they reinserted the famous um, Laurence Olivier um tony curtis bath scene um where um laurence olivier's character um is seducing tony curtis yeah and anthony hopkins uh dubbed laurence olivier's voice because the sound quality was so poor um so wow and you don't and you do not notice you do not notice. know
2: i'm gonna have to watch it again now it's See
0: the bath, knowing that where he talks to him about um, does he eat snails? Um, oh, okay, yes, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a fascinating scene. It is a re- it's a fascinating scene because it's clear he fancies the pants off him, um, yeah. <laughs> and he's in the bath and he's bathing him and washing him. And they took obviously they took it out because of the the subtext in it. But Hop, Anthony Hopkins dubs over um, old Larry's voice in it it's superb it's, wow it's, it's really 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 good it's really clever very well very i'll clever. be watching
2: spartacus again for worry really, i've only ever seen it once so
0: it does need a rewatch. i think it's not obviously kubrick directed it it's um it's really much kubrick for hire it's very very early on in his directing career um but so he didn't he didn't have the control no
1: he didn't have he the control, later. and he
0: kind of yeah. it. He kind of disowned it, but it's, it's superb. And the final battle scene where you used, with, with the shot of the Roman legions, um, dispersing for, um, it to get into formation is just so well shot. It's so well shot. And, um, yeah. it's a great film. It's a great, in fact, I may have to go and rewatch it myself, but, um. There we go. We're best going to go and rewatch Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. No. I'm Spartacus. (laughs) No, you're not. I'm Brian and so is my wife. It's only a model. (laughs) (laughs) So. I think, I think we've, we've pretty much covered. Yes. Rebecca. Well, we've talked for the best part of nearly two hours flat. So, (laughs) we're, um. (laughs) So here's the thing. If we had to, and you know, how would you, Come in on this. Where would you score, Rebecca?
2: How would you score I've, Out of ten, I would give this a good, solid eight and a half. As I said, it gets a it's it's the the pacing, or not not even the pacing. The feeling slows down a little bit just in those last with the whole court scene and yeah. and all that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So
2: that's why it doesn't get a, a nine and a half. So an eight and a half out of 10 for me, because I just, I think it's just, well, I wouldn't be podcasting with you if I didn't like it. <laughs> no, no, no.
0: It's, it's an eight for me. It, it, it's an eight for me. Um, I, yep. I, I, I absolutely love this film. I do. I think it's a superb film. Um, I think it's something that gets overlooked. Yep. Um, I agree. And of course, you know, the, you know, and we, less we forget because we haven't mentioned it. Um, Daphne de Maurier, um, also wrote The Birds. She also wrote the yes, birds, she
2: right? yes, she did. Yes, she did. I love the birds.
0: Yes. Love that. Because birds are creepy anyway. Birds are really, really ah, creepy.
2: See, I love birds. We- I, I have one. I, I have a little cockatiel. <laughs> and uh, I, I've always owned birds my whole life, always. And, and I'm the one Australian in Australia that the magpies don't attack because I talk to them. <laughs> you- Google it, folks. If you don't know what I'm talking about, mag- magpies are unique to Australia and – they during their nesting time they dive bomb people well to the point like they don't just scare people like they'll actually peck your head and stuff like that and it's it's a big issue here in australia but yeah i've never been dive bombed by a magpie so i can proudly say that
0: i once got into a confrontation uh with an osprey um (laughs) which was terrifying because essentially you know birds are dinosaurs um and you know but you know working in a school obviously children think it's hilarious um to let, because, because, you know, at break times and what have you, they, you know, they'll drop food, kids will drop food everywhere. So we get lots of like inland gulls and ospreys coming right. on the site. Um But of course, a couple of the kids thought it'd be hilarious to, uh, let an osprey into the building. Oh, right. And I was walking, everybody, you know, I was walking to, uh, uh, to the canteen area everybody had finished uh, everybody everybody had gone back to their lessons I was at the top of the stairs and this Osprey was at the bottom of the co- we have like a covered way so it, I was trapped the Osprey was trapped and we co- <laughs> sort of had this moment of the pair of us thinking okay what are we going to do now what are we going to do now and then one of the worst behaved children in the entire school walked the other direction so this osprey was now trapped between me and one and of the the, kid. and this other kid and it was like I was trying to say to the kid open the door open the door he's going I'm not <laughs> opening the door you open the door open the door <laughs> <laughs> open the damn door you're suspended <laughs> <laughs> so it ended up with me sort of like him sort of I said right you walk towards the bird and I'll open the door and we ended up wrestling this osprey they're huge they yes. huge and really mean really mean <laughs> not really it was just frightened Wow. <laughs> now, i'm sure it looked at me and called me a bastard and sort of tried to stick you know just trying to stick an extra one on me but it was just one of those moments where you know we have a face-off between
2: <laughs> i want to i want to have a pet eagle i want to have a pet wedge tail eagle
0: wow that's, you
2: know, again. and our wedge eagles here in Australia are bigger than the American bald eagle, and they're, they're massive. But I want to pet one of those, and then I want to train it to attack people. But you
0: know, <laughs> <And laughs> those no. talent. <laughs> Gidget. It has been an absolute pleasure to discuss this classic film with you. And as say this always, you have got a open invitation to come back at any point, any point at all. So- oh, Hugh, he- Thank you so much. Well, I'd love the German
2: version. I don't know whether you've podcasted that or not, but, um, I find that a, a, a fascinating, uh, experience, yes. that movie. Yes. Um, look, I've loved, I love this movie, Rebecca. I cannot thank you enough for having me back on. I've had the most wonderful time. Really. I mean, uh, Hugh, you and I could probably talk for hours and hours More and hours, likely. but you've got, you've got business to do on a Saturday. You've got to go off and, uh, yes. So, Yes, I remember sorted. you've get your ink sorted, exactly. Yes. So you know, priority. So yes. but thank you so much for having me on. Um, make sure if your listeners come and check me over I was about at to say, the, where retro- can the
0: good people find you.
2: I was already, already pimping myself before yes. you even introduced it. Um, yes, come and check myself and Angry Man over at the Retro Cinema Podcast. We podcast 80s movies we loved back then and we still love now. It's a family friendly podcast. So because we do a lot of kids movies and, uh, we do top tens as well of 80s films um, and we've covered, we've just reached our hundredth Episode. Wow! And our t- anniversary of doing the podcast. So, and then my partner Colonel Kickhead does all our beautiful gifts. So That's I'll get superb. him to do
0: a couple of gifts. Like this. That's wonderful. That's absolutely, guys. Get yourselves over and check out retro uh, retro movie because it is uh, retro cinema. Because it is just a super. It's one of my favorite podcasts. It is one Aww. of my favorite. It, it really is. I really love. I really enjoy listening to it. It's great. I got a couple episodes. I got to binge listen to now. So um, I'm going to be. them while
2: you're getting your ink done.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just plug them in. So, <laughs> Gidget. Thank you so much for being on. It's been an absolute pleasure.
2: Thank you, Hugh. You are such a gentleman and I just love chatting with you. I love your podcast.
0: And again, thanks for having me on. Take care now. (laughs) Okay, I want to say a big thank you to my very special co-host, Gidget. Welcome back. Anytime you want, you've got a completely open invitation. Always a pleasure. Never a chore. Okay, up next, we have got What the Wookiee Watched. And first up, we're going to be looking at Jackals from 2017. Let's check out the trailer.
1: Looks like someone wants me. Oh, look at you.
2: Ah, uh, don't bother.
0: Can I have her back? Oh. I know, I know. Hello.
1: You're a mom. private property what are they doing a baby. Oh, sweet, sweet. My brothers and sisters. We need all the babies we can get. They are the future after all. Victoria oh with you. You're not gonna stop. Please don't make- yeah, piggy piggy, 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 piggy. Don't be scared, Sam. We're all gonna make it out of this, I promise.
0: Okay, that was the trailer for Jackals from 2017. Jackal's was directed by Kevin Gruetta and Jared Rivett. It starred Stephen Dorff, Deborah Cara Unger, Jonathan Skeech, uh, Alyssa Julia Smith and Nick Rue. Um, besides butchering some of those last names, <laughs> um, this is very much a, um, a bit of a sleeper hit for me. I really, really like this film. Lots of people have given it... Um, uh, some negative reviews. Um, it's a film. It's set in the nineteen eighties. Uh, essentially, you have an estranged family who hires a cult deprogrammer, and uh, to help uh, deprogram their runaway teenage son, and suddenly they find themselves under siege in a log cabin by the cult themselves. Um, it stars, like I said, uh, Stephen Dorff is in this. He's the, probably one of the bigger names in the film. However, he's pretty much an um, an extended cameo. Um, this is a very good film. It is very well acted. It is very, very well put together. I went into this expecting absolutely nothing. I was thoroughly blown away by it i really really enjoyed this film um, uh, it's certainly worth it um, i think you can watch it on uh i think it's available on sky q if you've got that um i know it's on dvd and it's fairly reasonable at the moment um def i would definitely buy this one i really really would and i would give this a i'm gonna give it a 7 out of 10 it's a it's well worth it Enjoy this one Recommend go. I recommend it Go out there and watch it So it's a 7 out of 10 For Jackals From 2017 Okay Up next We have got Wolves At the door Let's check out the trailer
1: You don't have to go labs Stay here There's plenty of room And then what? Who knows? Isn't that the exciting part about life? I don't want to be alone when she goes. (laughs) Hello? What is that?
0: OK, that was the trailer for Wolves at the Door. Wolves at the Door is a 2016 film. It was directed by John R. Leonetti and written by Gary Doberman. It stars Katie Cassidy, Elizabeth Henstridge, Adam Campbell, Miles Fisher, Chris McCulley, uh, Jane Kaz... I can never say I help Malcolm in the Middle's mom and the judge in the Simpsons um <laughs> Spencer Daniels Lucas Adams Eric Laddin and Arlen Escapata um this is a film uh, set in the in summer of Love in 1969. Four friends gather at a rather elegant house. Uh, however, little do they know that they are about to be in for one hell of a night. And their visitors are very, very much unwelcome. Uh, this is a film that's clearly inspired uh, by the uh, Manson family murders. Um, it has moments that... Um, that keep you there's enough moments in this to keep you interested however it is quite ponderous um some of the characters are not particularly likable um the once it gets going it's pretty it it, there's enough to keep it there but there are there's too many lulls within this and some of the characters are not particularly likable like i said the it's very very well shot um it looks great um the um i think elizabeth henstridge is excellent in it i think she's really really good in this film um but like i said it really really does drag at times um i would say it's a low priority um i think it's streaming right now and it's available um on sky if you've got sky um i would say it's a low priority rental um don't rush out I would definitely watch Jackals over this. Um, And when you're comparing sort of both siege narrative type films um, and survival horror, Jackals is definitely the far superior of the two. Um, So what would I give Wolves of the Door? I'd give Wolves of the Door maybe a a five. I'm going to give it a 5.5. It's a low priority rental. Um, It does drag at times. Um, it could have done with some more judicious uh, judicious editing, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, um, it's a 5. Yeah, I gotta give it a 5.5. Okay, up next we have got What We Become from 2015. Let's check out the trailer. So,
1: Så rød, mor Skoven bliver så sort Nu er solen død, mor I
0: en beredskabsplan, der er en ukendt sygdom, sandsynligvis vi en virus. Lige nu findes der ikke nogen specifik behandling.
1: Hallo? De ja, er gået. Ja. Vi skal væk herfra.
0: that was the trailer for What We Become from 2015 or to give it its original title Sorghenfri. Um because this film is a Danish movie and it was directed by Bo Mickelson and it was written by Bo Mickelson it stars Benjamin Engel uh, Trost Libby uh, Mila Jensen, uh, Ella Solgard and maria boda and basically it is the story of a family that ends up being quarantined when a in a sort of flu-like virus breaks out which ends up reanimating the dead um, i was again really really surprised with this one wasn't expecting an awful lot going into this one um however does it bring anything new to the to the zombie or slash infected genre not particularly but it is very 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 well executed um great cast absolutely superb cast um it's got a really really interesting scene um, regarding um the youngest daughter's pet bunny Ninas which I thought is a really cool cool name for a little bunny rabbit and he's very very cute but there's a very good scene around that um you don't you get. Enough sort of zombie kind of action, but it's not overplayed. It's essentially about the sort of what happens when you lock um, people up together. It's a it's it's well worth it. It's it, it's definitely one of those films that you can chuck on when you just when you've got. It's an hour and twenty five. You've got a better time to kill. Um, I wouldn't say go out there and buy it. It doesn't bring anything new to the sort of already saturated. Um, zombie genre or slash infected genre depends on which side of the coin you fall on um but it has some really really good moments um the um the lead character Benjamin Engel uh, as Gustav is watch very very watchable um the father character uh, Tro- played by Thros Libby um whose name is Dino is somewhat irritating um and the mother is definitely a very, very irritating character in this. However, it all works to help build some really, really nice tension. Um, it's very, very well executed. Um, the budget for this is, you know, was again, it's a low-budget film, but it looks very, very good. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, it's not a one that's going to set the world on fire, but I, it, I believe this is the first zombie movie to be made in Denmark. Correct me if I'm wrong, please, listeners. But um it's definitely one of those films that if you've got a bit of time to kill you can throw it on and i would give this one a 5.5 out of 10 so ladies and gentlemen our time together is drawing to an end i know i know (laughs) and as always I would like to say a big shout-out to a number of people out there. Uh, Of course, again, I want to say a big thank you to Gidget for being on the show, Um, completing her hat-trick of appearances here. I'm sure she will be on for many, many more episodes. Of course, I want to say a big shout-out to my brother from another mother, Mr. Leighton Winston. As always, you can find him on uh, Twitter, at LeightWinst. Also, check out some of his articles he's written. He's got them over on Sky89. Um... Great, great. You know, Fair Play, it's a really, really, really good article on uh, the use of trailers and those type of things. Excellent article. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Of course, I want to say a big shout out to my man, Freddie Fenich. That's Jay Prowse. You can find him on Twitter at J Prowse. Of course, the Lether one, Liam, you can find him on Twitter at Liam underscore Jones. Um, as always, a huge shout out to Jay of the Dead, Dr. Shock, and Josh Gary over at the Horror Movie Podcast. Big shout out to those guys. Guys, great, great podcast. Get yourselves over there and listening. Of course, my man uh, CJ over at VHS Revival. Get yourselves over to his blog, Mr. Paul Hayden and his Schlock Horror podcast, not podcast, Um, what they call him, blog. That's right. You can follow Paul over at Schlock Horror. And of course... Jeff and Al over at Cadavercast. Huge shout out to them. My man Slasher Trash, Gareth, is going to be appearing on the show very, very soon. I can't wait. And we're going to be talking the burning. Um, Jay is going to be back on with him. Um, so that's going to be a really, really good. Um, it's going to be a cracking episode. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. So you can follow Gareth over at Slasher Trash and you can find him on Twitter and on Facebook. Um, if I've left, oh my course, how 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 awful of me. I nearly forgot to say a big shout out to my glamorously gothic gal pal, C. L. Raven. We've got a little project that we're working on together at the moment. Really, really excited. Um, hope to share some news with that with you guys very, very soon. So, as you can tell, my voice is about to give out, <laughs> and I'm very, very tired. So, in the immortal words of Count Dracula, "Good night out there." whatever you are.
1: This is Alfom Cadavercast. You've been listening to The Undead Wookie. The back.